today we're going to continue our discourse on vampires. When we segue back to Dracula, the 1931 version, and then also we could even include the Draculas, even though not played by Lugosi, but uh, the two Dracula characters that John Carradine plays in House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula. And then lastly, Bela Lugosi coming back as Dracula in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. All of those Draculas are more or less based on the Dracula, the foundational Dracula from the play that becomes the film in 1931. And we don't really see that same phantom quality. That's why I don't look at the Lugosi Dracula as a gothic character as much as a romantic aristocrat, someone from, you know, the idea comes in the early 1800s. And, 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 you know, so he's not as old, you know, although maybe there are some references to him being, you know, from the 1400s, like the original Vlad the Impaler's from the 1400s, which works perfectly with the, with the Nosferatu. You could easily see that, oh yeah, he's, he's, you know, he was in the, those wars with the Turks in the 1400s yeah, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and he's just lived so long that now he's kind of wasted away and yeah. he's like this weird creature. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really easy to believe. But when you're looking at the Bela Lugosi and the continental charm, that he, <laughs> and even in the Langella remake, it's funny how 1979 saw the remake of Nosferatu with Herzog, and then it also saw the remake of the 1931 Dracula. Yeah, where Frank Langella was even less of a uh, of a vampire. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny how the reason why they made that film was because the Broadway play Dracula became popular again in the 70s. So it was it was sort of like the same thing happened 50 years later all over again. And it was Universal again who made the Langella film. What binds all of those those aristocratic Draculas from the universal world with the continental charm and the fact that they're less like monsters and they're more like they could just pass in a crowd, you know, is that they're solid. I mean, even though they have these powers and they can hypnotize and, you know, they obviously do drink the blood, whether you see the fangs or not. It's not like the the phantom vampire, which, oh, is it there or is it not? These are these vampires are definitely there. They, like you poke them and you'll feel flesh and, you know, they're there. I mean, there's there's no doubt that that Dracula, when he's standing in front of Van Helsing and then Van Helsing says, I've come across a very interesting thing. And then, it's, and <laughs> and it's then he the throws mirror. the mirror on the ground. Yeah, and I mean, when, when <laughs> Dracula realizes that he's been tricked and, and you know he's not casting a reflection, that's a very physical person who's standing in front of him. There's, it's not like this ghostly presence that you have to sort of be half asleep, you know, just to perceive, you know, like, like with Nosferatu. So, um, so that was the point I was going to make. It was that that's the one consistency we see with that Dracula. The, the romantic Dracula is a physical Dracula with these other qualities, you know, and these rules tend to change from film to film. There was another film, it wasn't a film, it was a made-for-TV movie with Jack Palance in the early 70s, which I thought was excellent. I thought that his portrayal of Dracula really nailed it. Like, that was a scary Dracula with fangs, but still maintaining the Bela Lugosi continental charm. You know, I remember watching that as a kid and saying like, okay, that's a Dracula that kind of scares me. That Dracula kind of gives me nightmares, <laughs> you know. The thing that just came to my mind is because you mentioned John Carradine and House of Dracula is that in that movie, out of all the universal movies that have to do with vampires, I think that is one of the more scientific ones where, you know, they they start exploring this theme that comes up in later, like, vampire things, like Dark Shadows and, like, probably a whole bunch of modern vampires 
vampire things that I haven't even like heard of. But it's like this idea that like you're only a vampire because there's like this germ in your blood and it's like a disease that you have can maybe be solved with drugs or in this movie like blood transfusions and stuff like that. But the vampire's body is ba would basically be human if it wasn't for that, right? Whereas Nosferatu, like, it's not like the vampire is a human with a disease. It's like the vampire is the disease. So I think that's like an interesting difference. Yeah, right. So the vampire is a metaphor in the Herzog and, and Murnau film as pestilence, as the plague. And like you said, in the Carradine, you know, that's pretty early on in House of Dracula for the Carradine vampire to recognize that his vampirism is really the result of something in his blood. I think it's Edelman is looking at his blood under the microscope and says, oh, my boy, like, you don't understand. It's just this blood thing. And if, if you know, you can, it's a simple thing. To, it's like the, what's his face the in The Wizard of Oz where he says, oh, you know, all you need is a diploma. Yeah, like, exactly. You know? <laughs> and it's, it's, like, it's interesting because it goes along with the idea that the werewolf can also be cured with like brain surgery. So it's like a very science-heavy science, science heavy movie. Yeah, it is. House of Dracula definitely is. It might be the first one to introduce those concepts, you know? And, and you also mentioned Dark Shadows in there sort of briefly. And it's funny how Dark Shadows, you know, which was the, uh, the soap opera in the 1960s with Barnabas Collins as the vampire. But it's interesting how in that one, they also have the same concept, yeah. right? Because you have the female scientist, I can't remember her name now, but it's the same idea that the vampire can be cured with injections of pure blood. Yeah, the, 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 and that he, the idea is that he'll become just a regular human. Right. But it's funny how it turned from it just being more like, okay, he's a vampire because a witch put a curse on him and, and you know, or whatever I think the story was, uh, which is more of a, of a, um, a spiritual or ethical dilemma that it eventually went in, into that place of, no, he, he really just caught a virus. He really just, you know, and it turned him into a vampire. Yeah. And, and he can be cured. And you wouldn't expect that. I mean, I, you know, it's surprising. And, and I think that's really, um, in the movie, the, the Dark Shadows movie, they really, uh, that's a big part of the plot in that film, towards the end of the film, especially. And it's also important to mention that the movie we're talking about isn't the Johnny Depp film from, like, what is it, 2012? Yeah. Um, we're talking about the 1970 movie House of Dark Shadows, which was based on and influenced by the soap opera, but because it was a two-hour movie, had to condense some of the storylines and everything. So the movie is slightly different from the soap opera, and the soap opera has a lot of twists and turns in its own right that are different from the movie. So one more vampire I wanted to mention was Count Yorga. Count Yorga is a movie, actually it was called Count Yorga Vampire. It came out in 1971, starring Robert Quarry as the, as the vampire. And I feel like he is another descendant of the Bela Lugosi romantic vampire. So he's under that umbrella. He's part of that lineage. And he, like I was talking about earlier with uh, Jack Palance, Yorga really pulls this off as well. I mean, he also, this vampire also gave me nightmares when I was a kid. Uh, he has the fangs and he has the continental charm and he's distinguished and it's it's clear that he's an aristocrat. But he, you know, it, this is the 70s now and we're post Hammer films. So of course these vampire films are much more graphic and, um, and the vampires are scarier. So one of the elements that, they added at this point, I feel like makers of these movies had to start figuring out a way 
to make the romantic vampire scary because to most people, I think by now in the 70s, this vampire was starting to get boring. And I think for, now, now for me, at the time I was five, six, seven years old. So of course it was scary to me, but my dad was sitting there yawning. I mean, it, you know, and most people who were probably older than 30, you know, they or had 13. seen, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they had seen these vampires, you know, for at that point, almost 50 years, you know? So I feel like the the producers and the, you know, the director, I can't remember who directed this film, but they, they got this idea and I think it was pretty ingenious. What they did was, if you think about it, all of the previous Bela Lugosi-type vampires existed either in Transylvania or in some European weird fantasy universal monsters town. Or The environment was always something that we regular people had to go there. We had to go to them. But what was different about Count Yorga was that he came to us. The movie takes place in L.A., and it's in modern times. It's not in a weird sort of past-timey thing. It's it's literally 1971. It's very much like the Bram Stoker book where, you know, Dracula comes from Eastern Europe and then winds up in London and, uh, and you know, he buys his property. Except now, Count Yorga is coming to L.A. And, you know, he's, and he's able to pull it off somehow. Like, even though he really looks out of place and he's sort of... Yeah, he still wears, like, a cape yeah. and stuff like... like he does all the classic stuff, but it's funny how I guess they figured like, well, hey, you Americans, he's like closer to you now, you know, like <laughs> that's like enough. Plus, he's not Dracula, he's Yorga, you know, right. but it's close to, you know, it's the same thing. Well, that's another one of these rules in these movies is does Dracula exist? You know, we're going to talk about I Am Legend uh, coming up soon, Richard Matheson's book. And and in Richard Matheson's book, Dracula does exist in that world because Neville, the main protagonist in that book, is reading Bram Stoker's Dracula. So therefore, you can't have a Dracula in a world where the real Bram Stoker fictional Dracula exists. So in Count Yorga Vampire, the heroes, you could say, the guys who are you know, trying eventually figuring out that, oh, this guy's a vampire. They say, oh, you mean like Dracula? So that means that in their world... They've Dra heard of him. <laughs> yeah, Dracula exists. So you can't call this vampire Dracula. You have to come up with a different name. So they came up with Yorga. Anyway, I really feel like this was a very effective and probably the last, you know, I, I don't want to say, because there were some other movies that came out, you know, We'll probably talk about them in future episodes. Um, one that comes to mind is Fright Night, which I think that's 1985. And that had sort of a, a, a very, you know, Bela Lugosi-type Dracula in it. But this, I feel like Count Yorga really was probably the last distinguished vampire with the continental charm and all of that stuff. You know, would you agree on that? Yeah, but I think you're forgetting about some other vampires, some famous ones. Like what? Which, which one? Okay, well, Christopher Lee is like the next, you know, he's the hammer, the star of the Hammer films, the Dracula ones. And um, yeah, I think most vampire like movie fans, like they would say like after Bela Lugosi, he's probably like the next most famous one. You know, he's like the 50s one. Right. And there's a reason why I obviously I didn't forget about Christopher Lee and who could forget about Christopher Lee. I mean, but. There's a reason why I left him out of that lineage, and that's because, in my opinion, he starts a new kind of vampire. And even though we saw a little bit of this with um, Carradine, John Carradine, being a Western movie star before he started playing Dracula, that he had a little bit of this action-packed, 
I mean, I remember in House of Frankenstein, there's this scene where he's riding a horse. and Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. it's this huge action scene. It's like the scene that leads up to him dying. Yeah. And he's, like, jumping from, like, coach to coach. Yeah. And it's probably a stuntman. It's probably not John Carradine. But it's his character. Right. It's know? his character. So you're led to believe that, oh, wow, Dracula is, like, he he can, you know, he's very physically active. Like, he can do all this stuff. And, I mean, can you imagine Nosferatu, like, riding a horse and jumping? I know, right? yeah. Like, dude, like, that what? would just take you out of it. That's or, almost like something from Spongebob or yeah, something. Yeah, <laughs> or, like, Bella Gosi for that matter. I feel like Bella's clothes are probably too, like, stiff for him to be doing stuff like it's that. It's just so out of character, you know? <laughs> anyway, um, back to Christopher Lee. He, you know, the Hammer films in general sort of begin what, you know, a lot of people term exploitation films, where you know, now they're showing stuff that people always wanted to see in the in the classic Universal monster films, but they never showed it. Um, now they're showing the blood and they're showing the puncture wounds. And when you're in the Frankenstein films, they're showing the, the organs. Yeah, all the body parts. Yeah. Anything that's, like, gory, like, for the time. Yeah. You know, because obviously we never, like, yeah, in the black and white movies... They're not going to show you uh, blood or anything like that. Well, also because these movies were in color, so they felt like they could they could take advantage of that by showing the blood. And, of course, then the women, you know, we could talk a lot about the women and how they were, you know, obviously set up as objects, sexual objects, in pretty much every film. Yeah, that's and, a staple of uh, exploitation. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's kind of, it's really tame by today's standards. But when you go back and you look at it, it's, it, you know, it's almost kind of goofy how every female character has to have these really tight, you know, dresses and the cleavage and all yeah, this Yeah, I mean, is. I think it's, I know a couple of Hammer movies do have, like, full-on nudity or something, or at least show, yeah. like, butts or something, but I feel like most of the time it's just cleavage. Yeah. Well, those <laughs> those ones, I think the ones where they show a little bit more nudity came a little bit later. Oh, yeah. You know, right yeah, now. Into, into the 70s. Into the 70s, yeah. yeah, maybe late 60s, especially after Andy Warhol and his Frankenstein and Dracula movies. Yeah. But Hammer really started off in the 50s, and I just want to stay on... Christopher Lee, because this podcast is really about vampires. And I would say that Christopher Lee definitely has, he's definitely a physical vampire. So he's not the gothic, like, is he there or not? He's, you know, if you poked him, it'd be like, oh, yeah, he's definitely there. Um, <laughs> you shouldn't poke him, by the way. But he's the first vampire that brings in the um, this belief that somehow vampires have the strength of 10 men. He's very action-packed. And, and it's, it's really exemplified more in the way that he fights. Like, he fights. This is a fighting vampire. Yeah. You know, he throws people around. He he grabs them by the throat and he lifts them up, you know, off their feet. Yeah, he loves choking people. Yeah. And and also, yeah, just throwing them, you know. Right. So this is a dynamic that Bela Lugosi never had. Uh, Nosferatu doesn't have it. So I feel like this is the reason why I waited to talk about Christopher Lee because I feel like he almost single-handedly or hammer creates a whole new genre of of a vampire you know yeah it, did vampires have super strength before this so much of the vampire folklore doesn't even get into that yeah you know it's much more in the gothic like if you go back to the european folklore and stuff it's more about just some entity coming to you at night and like sitting on your yeah, chest when you're or, like a lot when you can't fight back yeah, you know sleep paralysis all the stuff we covered with nosferatu a lot of that stuff is I mean, I should say the European folklore covers or comes from more from that angle. I think it's more of a Anglo-American thing to make the monsters just 
like brutes. Yeah, just, or just have like every power, kind of like Superman, but like a watered down Superman. Yeah, and, and it's true that like it really does does even with the Hammer films, it starts to blur into. Am I watching a horror film or a superhero film? Yeah, and you know, thank God the the Hammer films were creepy enough and focused on the monsters enough to where it doesn't wind up as a Marvel film. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, um, I remember in college, like my it was me and my roommate were talking about vampires. And I was way more into the, um, yeah, the idea that vampires' like main weapon is like their hypnotism, and because um, I always see vampires more as like they can get inside your head and like they can just kind of like have control over you like that. My roommate was like, she's like, nah, I like it when the vampires are like, you know, like a human has like no chance, you know. <laughs> she's like, I like it when they're really strong and right. they can just they can just overpower like anybody, you know. Yeah, and some people like they wouldn't even think that it's an exciting movie if it didn't have that. And that you know, you can thank Christopher Lee and and the Hammer Films for that because they're really the first ones to introduce that kind of fighting vampire. And if you know anything about Christopher Lee, you know anything about his history? I mean, he was a badass like <laughs> World War II vet. I mean, if he hadn't gone into acting and just, you know, became like a construction worker after World War II. He still would have been known as this, he was he was like the equivalent to a Navy SEAL. This guy was badass, you okay. know? Well, the story I've heard online a couple of times, well, I don't know if it's true, but supposedly on Lord of the Rings, he, he told Peter Jackson like, oh, that's not what it sounds like when someone gets stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, right. And I'm sure he took out a lot of those German, uh, those, those Kriegsmarine with a knife. Anyway, that's our take on these vampires. We're going to continue doing more vampire stuff um, because there's a lot to say about vampires. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Leave us five stars and a review. Thanks.